0: Bankers, they're salespeople. It's the bank that obviously asks them to sell. Someone walks in and has money to invest for example and the banker let's say it has his objectives for mutual funds and gic's and their credit cards <laughs> credit cards and all that stuff well if they're doing very very well on one of the objectives let's say gic's and they're not doing well with mutual funds and you know the end of year is coming in three months I'm not going to say everybody does this, but they're going to be pressured by their managers, by the regional managers, to yeah. sell mutual funds.
1: How come everybody's the VP of something? Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then someone someone at the bank who no longer is at the bank says, Voo, those are just titles. Doesn't mean yeah. they're doesn't mean they're more important, doesn't mean they're better. Doesn't just, show anything. It doesn't show anything. But yeah. but for the consumers like, "Oh wow, you're a VP of something. You must be important. You must know your stuff." Welcome back everybody, and this time we're going to be looking behind the scenes of the retail banking industry as it pertains to us, the consumer. We're going to look behind the curtain and see who Mr. Oz is and in a certain way, we're going to be looking at the underbelly of the retail banking business with a good friend of mine and also an ex banker. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast.
0: my financial health doc, welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo.
1: Okay, well, welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the How Is My Financial Health Doc Podcast, and I am your host, Vukia Tran. I hope you guys miss me a bit. I was kind of slow and lazy during the summer uh, and uh, have not been producing much podcasts and episodes, but I am back. No worries. We're going to continue learning about personal financial literacy for healthcare professionals. Today, we have a treat, uh, and uh, we have... A guest with us, his name is John uh, Kalos. Carlos, and John is a financial planner currently, but he has a previous life, um, and uh, you'll be you'll find interesting what his previous life is about. So John has created a podcast. He's the founder and creator of Confessions of an Ex Banker. So he's gonna tell us. All the behind the scenes, behind the curtains. He's the he's the odds behind the curtain, and he's going to tell us about the banking industry. So, um, John, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Wicket. Nice to be here. Uh,
1: so, John, I've sort of very superficially introduced you, but I would like you to introduce yourself. Maybe tell us a little bit about you know uh, your current your current work. Uh, but also give us a background of why you created that podcast and what led you to where you are today because you were in your previous life a banker and so I'm very interested in the story of how you come about to uh, create your own journey to today
0: right so uh, great Thank you again, Bukit, for having me on the show, and um, you're right, I'm a, I'm a certified financial planner, um, at this point independent, and uh, used to be in the banking industry actually since the mid to late 90s, and um, I spent my time as, as a financial planner at the branch level. Um, and basically I was covering some territories of branches and so when bankers needed some um, some someone to help them out with financial planning for their clients they would invite me and um, so, up until 2015, I had this role as a financial planner in, in in the banks. At at one point, I moved up to the private banking level of uh, of one of the big five banks. And uh, from there in 2015, I decided to go out on my own, various reasons, which I guess we'll be talking about uh, in the next few minutes. But um, so that basically uh, took me to me being on my own, started off in two thousand and fifteen with a young family and a mortgage, and uh, basically starting off from zero. And things have worked out quite nicely. I think um as an independent, independent planners are more have have the ability of being, let's say, non-biased advice uh, sources and um and so basically th- this is what led me to go on to my own and as you mentioned there are some sp- more specific reasons why i decided to leave the banking industry and uh, which which i guess we're going to be getting into in just a few moments but that's in a sh- in, in in a minute or two that's pretty much my history uh, so a certified financial planner right now uh, close to 30 years of experience in the industry
1: very good. So let's jump into that because uh when we first spoke and we got connected, I was very curious as to how come you you have this podcast called Confessions of an Ex Banker. And uh like like a lot of shows on Netflix, I binge listen to it. Um like I binge watch a bunch of Netflix shows. But so I binge listened to your podcast and I'm like I was blown away. I was blown away by the edginess of it, the gutsiness of it. I was blown away by the honesty. Really, that was really what led me to listen more and more is the honesty. So tell us a little bit about that journey, what came about and what triggered it.
0: Well, what triggered it is the idea that when you're working in a banking institution at any level at the banking institution, there's always a potential conflict of interest uh, because basically you're selling the products of the bank. And there are many cases where certain products may not be appropriate for clients that, you know. let's say clients with specific needs. So that was one of the issues that led me to leave. Um, to be more specific, banks have mutual funds and they make a lot of money out of mutual funds and there are hidden fees and what have you. And I wasn't very interested in selling mutual funds. Basically, what I was helping my clients do at the bank is is show them what's called index funds which are, again, funds that are provided at the banking level, but they're much, much cheaper. And so when I started using these products, because I felt that my clients were better off with these types of products, I was told not to do it anymore, to sell the more expensive mutual funds, which made me feel quite uncomfortable. Um, banks have objectives for their salespeople and and the, the pretty much every employee in the bank is a salesperson and that also leads to a potential conflict of interest um when 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 a banker has objectives to to sell 5 million dollars in gics and 5 million dollars in mutual funds and the banker is at you know 5 million dollars sold already for gics but they've only sold 2 million dollars of mutual funds they're pressured to get the mutual funds numbers up and so Whatever client comes before them after after the fact that they've had a conversation with their manager, they're more biased in doing what they need to do because they have to keep their job. And so these conflicts of interest, or let's call it potential conflicts of interest, is what really turned me off. And another thing that was that was um, that was quite heavy on me when it comes to the banking industry is the amount of work that needs to be done, which gives you nothing. In other words, there's lots of administration, there's lots of paper pushing, and what falls behind when in that type of scenario is client service. And so that's always was a big issue, the the level of service that clients would get at the banking level. Um, Another thing that happens, which is, Something that many people are not aware of or maybe people have felt is that there's a revolving door. In other words, the banker that you were dealing with three or four months ago is probably not going to be the same banker that you'll be dealing with today because they've moved. For whatever reason, there's always a a revolving door uh, when it comes to the staff. And what we're supposed to do is build relationships with clients and yet when someone is you know changing positions every 6 or 7 or 8 months or a year that's a little difficult to 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 digest when it comes for when it comes to client service
1: so why is there this revolving door phenomenon then what's what's going on why are people leaving the banks so often
0: you know what some are leaving the banks some are just going into different positions one of the major reasons is that the objectives that are set on bankers are quite high. And they're somewhat unrealistic. So what ends up happening is somebody sits down on a chair, and they've, they've, they've just been hired at this position, let's call it a personal banker. And, you know, during the first year, they're never going to meet their objectives, uh, because it's their first year, the second year, they put they get pressured to start meeting their objectives by the by the time second year in the, 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 the middle of the second year comes along. They're not there. And so their numbers are very far off, and so they decide to go look for another position this is the major reason the only thing that drives bank employees are objectives and numbers and sales and they're quite unrealistic so when they're not meeting their objectives they'll go to another position this is what happens all the time it's always been like that at least for the past 20 or so years
1: you know what you're you're telling the truth here because i've i've experienced that um at one of the major banks, I've developed a really, really good, uh, I think it's an honest relationship with my uh, personal banker. Uh, and uh, and that person uh, left. And uh, I had to reconnect with a new individual who emailed me once and never connected again. And even now to this day, I try to connect with this person and I'm having a really hard time. At a previous investment firm that I was with. I was a client of, and this is one of those firms that you know, quote unquote, services the physicians. I've been with them for fifteen years, and in those fifteen years, I've had ten advisors hmm. uh, because they keep coming, they keep going, they keep coming, they keep going, uh, and it, it made it so difficult for me to to even try to make them understand what my goals are because it's like it's like going to 10 family doctors <laughs> and changing uh, a family uh, doctors within the span of 15 years right uh so what you're saying really rings true uh in my own experience
0: right and so and so you're, you're absolutely right um and it's interesting that you've that you felt that doctors especially you know thinking about your audience doctors need a more personalized service because. Let's face it. You guys are busy. You don't know the ins and outs uh, of of you know um, financial planning and investments and RSPs and stuff. So you really need to create a relationship with somebody and the, and, and and with somebody experienced and somebody who doesn't have a biased view. And uh, I mentioned this. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a specific example. And we talked about this a little earlier. Is whether. Let's just say RRSPs, as an example, is a great tool for most people. It's not the best tool for everyone. But when you're in a bank, all you're going to hear about is RRSPs because, again, I harp back to the point where they all have objectives. They're not going to take time to figure out whether an RRSP is appropriate for their client or not. First of all, they don't have the time to do that. Second, they don't really have the experience or the knowledge to be able to, to determine what's good and what's not. So you're not getting a tailored service, a, advice based on your specific needs. That's also a problem. Uh, you mentioned that you you had one phone call or one email from your banker, and it's not the banker's fault. It's because there's so much work, administration work, sales objectives, meetings, and what have you, they don't have time to service their clients properly. They have too many clients, not a lot of support, and that's what leads to the revolving door of people coming and going. And, and it, it seems it seems like clients would always tell people, when, when someone would introduce themselves, a banker, a new banker introduced themselves to their client, the client would always say, and how long are you going to be here for? You know? <laughs> In other words, it's been it's it's been an experience, and so there's no real true relationship. There's no real true knowledge about who you are, what's important to you. They just don't have time for that.
1: I mean, it, it absolutely makes sense what you're saying there. I've been uh, long aware of the fact that RRSPs are. In, it's not a good solution for all, all people. It's not a for- good solution for for most. It's not a good solution for the very, very low income. And it's not a very good solution for the high income, i.e., healthcare professionals and physicians. But yet, you still hear RRSP season, you know, um, and you hear these commercials all over, you know, come to the bank, it's RRSP season. But more importantly, we have financial institutions who serve physicians who are still promoting RRSPs to physicians. And I I find that to be so disingenuous uh and uh so sneaky that they are still continuing to do that.
0: As you mentioned, um there is a position for RSPs, that's for sure. And 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 for certain doctors, again, depending on income, as you mentioned, they may still be appropriate, but as you also said, in many cases, they're not. And yet, we still have companies that are supposed to specialize with, you know, different uh, different types of clients, in your case, physicians, that as you mentioned, are sort of pushing products, because we got to remember also that they get paid bankers and other firms that, you know, have products, they get paid based on the amount of product that they sell. And so when I'm working for a company, and that company is selling products, well, I'm stuck with only being able to sell that product, right? And if I want to keep my job, that's what I have to do. So it's not the actual employee. It's the way the industry is built. It's the way institutions are getting paid. It's just unfortunate. And this is something as you, I'm sure you're well aware of, it's terribly important that people, this is money. This is, you know, you work 20 hours a day for your money and you want to make sure you're getting proper advice but you're not getting that because of the way the the way the industry is built it's just very unfortunate and that's what led me into a position of going uh, on my own where I'm not really tied down to selling products i i look at my clients we do a we do a financial plan there's there's no talk of product um we start talking about products and solutions once we do the financial planning and so in uh, b- what you typically hear when you're when you're approaching either the type of firm that you've worked with before or bankers or brokerage firms or anything like that is they'll start right away on telling you what kind of products they have for you because that's how they get paid and product needs to be the last thing on the menu we need to determine for clients before product is to determine how much do you need to save what rate of return do you need to earn um, is is our RSPs appropriate for you based on the revenue that you make? Our individual pension plans or or uh, the physicians pension plans, where do they fit in? How about life insurance as a as a as an instrument for saving taxes? We need to look at the client, what their goals, what their situation is like, and then determine what products are appropriate. What about inflation? What about Canada Pension Plan? What about Old Age Security? What about for you guys, salary versus dividends? there's all these different things that need to be discussed first before we actually say, okay, here's the products that we need to use to meet your goals. Does that make sense? I mean, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I mean, throughout my podcast, I've been talking about that all the time, that, you know, what needs to happen first is the financial plan. You know, it's like, you know, I I don't watch football. I don't understand football, but I think I at least understand this analogy you know i don't think tom brady just you know throws the ball willy nilly right tom brady shoots the ball and throws the ball to to a certain person based on a certain strategy and certain tactics right they know at the beginning of the game how they're going to approach this game versus the uh, the opponent team and so i don't think you know john uh, tom brady just throws the ball and and hopes someone catches it mm-hmm. and so I think this is what we tend to do as physicians, unfortunately, because we're not versed in this area. We tend to do that. We tend to just throw the ball and hopefully someone will catch it. So we buy products here and there without truly having a plan. And unfortunately, the people out there who are supposed to be catching the ball for us don't always catch the ball uh, in the way that we need them to do so. This is a actually a good segment, uh, a segue, into what we're going to be talking about today. So today we're going to be talking about top five things the financial industry or the bankers don't want you to know. And you've mentioned one of them already. So let me just go through the top five and then we'll go through them one by one. So you've already mentioned um, that people working in these financial industries, some of them and in the banks, mostly in the banks, that these are salespeople. Uh, that's the one thing they want to sell products. Two, they have a sales objective because they are in fact salespeople, so they have s- sales objective. Number three, they have there are fees, and a lot of these fees are hidden and we're not aware of them. Uh, number four, they don't offer every solution uh, possible; they only offer the solutions that are relevant and beneficial to them at the time at the moment that they offer it. So we'll dive deep into that a little bit more. People at the bank have uh, big titles. Number five, they have big titles. I've always met multiple VPs and directors and managers, and they're always very important people. And I did not understand what that meant. So those are the top five, I would say, things that bankers don't want you to know. And we'll dive into them right now. Let's start with number one. Uh, you've mentioned this, but we'll we'll dive a little bit deeper. People who worked at the bank or some of these financial institutions are salespeople. Right. What did you mean by that?
0: All right, I'll say all of the financial institutions, not some of them. All of the when when I went into the industry in the mid '90s and I came out of school and and you know I felt I was going to an organization where I'm going to learn a lot of things and we're going to be doing strategies for clients and what have you. I was in shock, and this is, we're talking close to 30 years now, that all it was, was sales. All it was, was numbers. Um, How much of this have you sold today? Not this past month or this past quarter, a branch manager will ask their employees how much mutual funds did you do today how much are you going to do this afternoon and you can imagine the pressure that the frontline staff is under when they're being you know held under the microscope based on based on their sales and so uh, it's there's nothing else but sales when it comes to dealing with the public that's all they think about it's a question of what do i what do i need to sell this this week or this month and what i mean by that is they'll have different objectives example we'll throw some real numbers in they might have objectives to sell gics of 5 million dollars uh, over the year and they have a uh, 5 million dollars of mutual fund objectives to sell as well well when it's you know four or five months down the road and and or you have let's say three or four months left uh, in the fiscal year and you've met your gic objectives but you're way behind in mutual fund objectives the next person that walks into your office, well, you're gonna tend to think that they should be buying mutual funds. And I'm again, I'm not blaming the the salesperson. I'm blaming management behind it because they're putting so much pressure on their salespeople to sell certain types of funds. when When I was in in banking in the in the mid to late 90s, I was recommending a certain type of fund, for all of my clients, which was very cheap, compared to banks mutual funds and when the bank got hold of, of of me doing this i was told not to do that anymore and that you know made me feel very uncomfortable this is where you know there's a potential conflict of interest coming in so there are products that 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 are quite expensive there are other products that are not as expensive and the 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 advisor will be selling you what they need to sell and that's very unfortunate So what that
1: means is if I'm a physician, I'm walking into any of these major banks and I say, hey, I've got some money I need to save. I need to save for retirement. I need to save in my TFSA, RSP, whatever it is, Um, depending on where the manager is at that time and what, what they are pressured, they may be selling me things that may not be, I would say, best interest. It may be suitable. It may be suitable, but it may not be best interest that's that's the, the the manifestation of what you just said there
0: that is right and and as a matter of fact there could be the, the banks have various points of solutions meaning they can refer you to the brokerage firm they could refer you to the private bank that they have they can refer you to to different different areas of wealth management within the bank but depending on where they are with their objectives, they'll sort of lead you to where they need to be. So if you who uh, belong in a brokerage firm, for example, but the banker has already you know, referred a lot of clients to the brokerage firm and they, their numbers are set or they've met their objectives, but they're not doing well with mutual funds, they'll try to convince you to, to, to buy mutual funds. I'm not going to paint everybody with the same brush, meaning... There are lots of people that will do what's best for you, but they're the ones that come and go in the banks. They're not the ones that stay for a long time because – they're not following the quote unquote rules of 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 what the banks what the banks are asking their employees to do so as a matter of fact I jumped from one institution to another because I was being pressured to sell a certain type of investment that I wasn't very comfortable in doing so and that's one reason why uh, one of the other you know things that you notice at banks is a revolving door of advisors we spoke about this a little earlier but this is how that's the environment of the banking industry and it's, it's it's really unfortunate because people have, maybe less now, but some years ago, people had were holding banks at a higher level. Their banker, their manager were sort of, you know, really, um, how can I say it, revered and they were respectful. But that's not the case anymore, un- unfortunately. And, you know, people get a hold of what's going on and, and they have different views now.
1: Well, you you, you have just exposed my weakness there. Because I didn't learn that until very recently, um, I still have a lot of high respect and praise for the people who work at the bank, um, the managers that I was dealing with, uh, the the clerk at the front line that I was dealing with. I still, I still believe it or not, I don't like, I don't like digital banking. I don't like banking on my app. I actually like to go to the bank and speak to people. I'm just very old fashioned that way. Uh, and I like to talk to those people and I have good relationship with them. Uh, and it wasn't until very recently you know, that I've seen the manifestation of what you just talked about there. Uh, and to your point, I don't blame them. I blame the system. right? Uh, I'll give you two examples of how I live that to myself. So I went to one of the banks to deposit some money. Uh, I could have done it online and just take a picture on my phone, but no, I had decided to walk into the bank and speak to the clerk. And the clerk at that point says, "Hey, uh, Doctor Tran, uh, you, sh- you should get this uh, credit card." <laughs> I'm like, "No, I already have two credit cards. I don't need more. I, I- there's already I have too many liabilities. I have to live with, and my my credit score is not that great because I have too many credit cards." No, 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 Doctor Tran, please help me out. You you need to get this credit card. And then I understood that because she had to meet her quota, right? She needed to push that credit card on me. Mm-hmm. And she apologized. She's like, you need to get it. And uh, if after two, three months, just cancel it. Okay. But at least, but at least the paperwork's done, at least my name's on it. And so I, I obliged and, and got that credit card. Uh and never used it. And after four or five months, I canceled it. So that was one example
0: that's amazing it's amazing because you make me think of something else that happens when you said just get the card they told you just get the card and then cancel it yes they do that with a lot of things um insurance for your mortgage okay exactly This this is funny i'll just mention this and you you must if you've heard all my podcasts you must have heard this if you want the best mortgage rate possible from a bank just tell them you're going to buy insurance, life insurance. And when they hear that, they'll give you the best rate. And And what they'll even tell you is, as, as they were trying to push a card on you, what they'll even tell you is, you know what? Take the insurance. It really, really helps me. And then a week or two from now, call the banking center and cancel it if you don't want the insurance. Because you have 30 days to cancel insurance if you change your mind. And just imagine... Insurance is the most profitable product for the branch. And and whether, whether the client keeps the insurance or not, the branch doesn't care because they've gotten compensated for selling the insurance. And then if you cancel it, there's no problem. So they'll even tell you what you just mentioned. They'll tell you, buy it and then cancel it. I just need your help. And it's unfortunate. That's like, I mean... When you, as you mentioned, there's professional designations that you see on their business card, and they're re, and they're acting in that fashion. Again, it's not their fault. It's how the system is in Canada. Yeah, and and let me say this. And not only in Canada, we've heard stories for many years just a couple of a couple of stories came out the past couple of months about American banks selling phony accounts and selling phony credit cards or creating lines of credit for clients when the client didn't even know they had them it's just uh, buyer beware right buyer beware well it's
1: all it's all over the news right I think I think I don't think we'll get sued for for calling their name Wells Fargo uh it's it's pretty public and if we think that it, it exists in the U.S., it definitely exists in Canada. Uh, one of the major banks, uh, I think, last month got uh, got penalized for that as well. Uh it's I
0: been many times. When, many many times. Many years ago of, of a client walking into a branch, uh, a hidden client, and it was done from CBC Marketplace, actually, where they visited four or five different institutions and mentioned that they have $50,000 to invest and what should they do and it was just a it was a terrible experience and 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 some financial planners came on to the show a little later on and mentioned how dishonest and how how they hide fees and so on and so it's really it's it's unfortunate so and as it- you mentioned <laughs> doctors again you don't have time to do the necessary research, or at least most doctors don't have time, they try to base or or, or they're hoping that they're getting trusted advice. Um, and where do you go for trusted advice? It's usually your bank. And that's been the mentality. But again, as you've mentioned, as I've mentioned as well, things are starting to turn, people are starting to realize that maybe they're not getting the best advice possible.
1: I, I've got a I've got a good story for you. Um, and this is the insurance that you were talking about so i refinanced the mortgage for my house um about two years ago and uh i went to my mortgage broker uh from the bank and very nice guy i have a very good relationship with with him as well and he literally said what you just said to me he said uh, vu you need to buy the insurance <laughs> because if you get the insurance the rate is better you'll you'll pay for it for three months you know it's 70 bucks a month for three months so you'll pay 210 bucks but you'll get a better rate. And after three months, I'll cancel it for you. <laughs> right. So that's the game that they have to play uh, for them to help us. If, if we truly wanted life insurance for a mortgage, we should get an independent life insurance policy and not one tied to the mortgage. And unfortunately, you know, physicians have uh unfortunately and maybe fortunately have a fairly good income. And so when we walk into a bank, we have a big bullseye behind our back.
0: Right, right? Unfor- That's unfortunate. Absolutely.
1: And so these are the type of games that uh, they, they do and we're not aware of. And I have not been aware of this for many, many years. So let's jump to the second, uh, you know, things that bank don't want you to know and don't want you to know, and we've talked about this, is the objectives of sales, right? Mm-hmm. So there are, we, you've talked about it. So what are the different objectives that that bankers and people working at the bank and advisors, quote unquote, advisors need to meet?
0: So uh, the banker who's the individual that you sit in their office and and they help you do your mortgage and they might do your RSPs and what have you, they're being pulled by maybe five or six different business lines of the banks. So they have objectives for credit cards. They have objectives for GICs. They have objectives for mutual funds. They have objectives for lines of credit. They have objectives to refer to the partners of the bank, the insurance partner, the the brokerage partner, the private banking partner. so someone from these different areas of the bank is always on their back asking them to sell their product so they have a whole slew of products that they must sell and that is all that they're thinking about is is my sales are not met here Um, i need to increase my sales there so these are the various objective uh, different objectives that they have whenever when i used to be a financial planner I and so I wasn't working in the branch, I was covering a territory of branches, right? And they had to find clients for me. They had objectives to find clients for me. So whether whether a client belonged in front of me or not, I would still get introduced to clients, even though they weren't suitable for what I was offering wasn't suitable for them. And they were doing that just so they could meet their objectives that they sent someone to the financial planner. So it's really, it gets to the point where it almost becomes silly um, and and they're doing things or' they're, they're acting in, in ways that are not benefiting the clients and and uh, so objectives all over the place. and, and as I mentioned before, the managers is is behind their back on a daily basis asking them what you've sold today. and, and it's really it's, it's really something to see behind closed doors.
1: You've mentioned something that is very interesting. It just caught my ear. Now I'm fully aware that banks don't always necessarily act in our best interest, but I was under the impression that they would at least be suitable. But what you said said to me there sometimes it's not even suitable.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. And, and so, I felt that many times. And 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 I was pressured, I was pressured to pressure the banker to send me clients. Hmm. And and whether or not they had clients that were, that were suitable, as you mentioned, they were pressured to send me any type of client as long as they got somebody in front of me so they can, you know, tick their objective. Right. And that's really, you know, it's not, uh, anyhow, I mean. Right.
1: Now, this exists at the bank. Does it exist in other financial institutions as well or mainly in the banks?
0: Yes, it does. It 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 exists in brokerage firms. It exists as as there are some independent private firms. Look, most firms in this in this industry, if you're not dealing with a bank, let's talk about investments here for a second. If you're not dealing with a bank and the branch, you're either dealing with their independent with their with their uh, with their brokerage-owned firm. Okay, so brokerages which used to be independent up until the '80s were pretty much all purchased by banks. Over the past 40 or so years. So every major brokerage firm belongs to a bank and they have objectives as well. Um, they have their own products as a brokerage firm that they sell that that and they make good money on, and they have mutual fund companies that that they that they'll that they'll sell their products for. And so there's always a question of whether you're getting the type of product that's appropriate for you or not, because it's all commission based. I've lived it because I've spent a couple of years very early in my career in a brokerage firm as well. So um, that is correct. Independent firms, there are independent firms out there that are not owned by banks, but they sell mutual funds and their own products as well. There's always a potential conflict of interest when you're being paid based on the product that you're selling. Um, You mentioned that there's firms that are very well known that, that cater to doctors and there are other firms that cater to lawyers and what have you, and they have their own products as well. So whenever we're dealing with somebody who's selling, who's making money based on the products that they sell, there's, again, I always use the term potential conflict of interest when i think the best red flag that that one can spot when you're dealing with anyone is if somebody brings up product before they go through three or four or five different calls with you or meetings with you if they're bringing a product quite quickly it's because they're probably paid by the product that they sell so that's where we need to be aware
1: that's a red flag So let's jump into the third thing that banks don't want us to know or even financial institutions don't want us to know are the hidden fees. So where are they hidden and what type of fees are we even talking about?
0: I'll give you an example of a client that I spoke to yesterday uh, and she was with a brokerage firm. Um, and the brokerage firm charges on a quarterly basis about 1%. Okay, um, And that's just that's one type of fee now within the products that the client is sold by the brokerage firm those products themselves have fees as well and those are the fees that are hidden so in this case the institution was charging a what they called a management fee and they were recommending mutual funds to the client which also had a fee within the fund but they were never told. So the client ended up paying in the neighborhood of 2.5% when they thought they were only paying 1%. Mutual fund fees here in Canada are the most expensive around the world. We are by far the most expensive. If you're getting a portfolio of mutual funds, you're paying in the neighborhood of 2 to 2.5%, and most people aren't even aware. They're never discussed um when i've heard them discuss they 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 sort of make they try to make it they try to make it complicated to understand and they do a good job about it a few years ago the industry um mandated that banks and mutual fund companies be much more clear and transparent when it comes to you know uh, declaring what what charges they what fees they charge and they've made some changes and they've made some comments on statements about what the fees are but they're just they're so complicated i have a hard time understanding them and so this is where where there's hidden fees mostly it's in it's in investment products and mutual funds uh, is where you'll find a lot of hidden fees and they're quite expensive
1: so it's really buyers beware understanding all the fees i mean i'm not i'm not against fees as long as they provide value but if there's fees and don't provide value or the fees are exorbitant then that needs to be re-questioned
0: You're right. Fees look, as you mentioned, you pay for value. You're gonna pay for you're not gonna get anything for free. But as you mentioned, as long as you get value, and as long as you're told what the fees are, and so you can you need to know, and it's incredible when you're thinking about it's your money. Money is important, and you're not you're not told how much you're being charged, which is really, anyhow, it's unfortunate, but. This is why we always say, and this is why we're doing shows like this, right? Ooh, I mean, we're trying to inform, we're trying to inform, you know, people out there how things work, and so, uh,
1: you know, I'm a, I'm a child of the '80s, and I don't know if you remember GI Joe, yes, uh, right? <laughs> Knowing is half the battle, right? <laughs> so That's being educated is half the battle,
0: and let's face it, let's face it. A, a a large segment of the population, doctor or or any profession or any person, are not fully versed in how money works. You know, I, I I always like to say money is a good thing, but it doesn't come with instructions. Right, and so and so you need to you need to be aware. It's it's always a great idea to be referred to someone that that's been working with someone, or at least try to get. It's if we're gonna help people out there today, is is try to get people, try to find out people who have been working with individuals for a long time to, you know, to get an idea of of who you can use. It's not easy. You're, I'm sure you're a good source uh, that your colleagues may come to in the future. I think it's a pretty good idea. You're well-versed. And when when we first met, I think I mentioned to you what a great service you're providing because you are well-versed and you're in a segment of Of people who are not well versed, unfortunately, because there's just the timing and 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 what have you 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 know, doctors don't have too much time to go into it. And so you're an excellent source uh, of of advice and information. that's why I, I congratulated you. you're helping. I'm sure you're helping your colleagues quite a bit, quite a bit.
1: Thank you very much for that. Uh, i'll I'll send you the twenty bucks it's in the mail. it's coming soon. <laughs> American. Um, but you know what? It, you're, you're right. Physicians are, are not well-versed for many reasons. We don't have the time. Uh, some of us don't have the interest. Uh, and some of us say to me, and I hear this all the time, I'm fine. Someone else is taking care of this. Uh, and so we leave it to someone else, unfortunately, a lot of the times. Before we move on to point number four and point number five, I am gonna end this particular episode here because it is a long interview and I wanted to make this possible so that people can digest this in small bites and pieces. So please stay tuned for part number two of our discussion with John Kalos. If you would like to leave me any feedback or comments, please email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please wait for the second one as well where we continue with John Kalos. Please share with your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, if you enjoyed this episode.
0: How is my financial health doc podcast is
1: hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.